is 716. You're listening to Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. It's time to bring in Braylon Edwards, a college and pro wide receiver legend. He's the author of Doing It My Way, My Outspoken Life as a Michigan Wolverine, NFL receiver, and beyond. You can pick up an autographed copy now at BraylonEdwards1.com. Follow him on Twitter, official Braylon. Braylon, thank you so much for uh, joining us here today. It's great to talk to you, man. You were like the most explosive player I'd ever seen at Michigan, and it was really just something that got me into them and college football in general when I was younger. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, and thanks for those kind words. Yeah, no, um, Ira, what do you have for Braylon? Uh, Braylon, um, once again, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Um, Your book, Doing It My Way, is really just your biography of of everything of, of your career. And, but you really started out in terms of it was funny that you didn't really start playing football till you're 12 years old. Um, talk about how you've spent like all your dad was an NFL football player, went to Michigan, but you spent years like begging him to play, begging to play, and they wouldn't let you play. And then you finally got your chance when you were 12. Yeah, my dad was very uh, interested in me doing other other sports, trying to learn like you know about other cultures and sports, getting into other things, seeing if I would if I had a natural fit to do other things versus just forcing me to play, you know, a sport he played kind of because he played it. So, you know, I think the first sport I played was I played tennis, uh, I played soccer, and then I played baseball. I played baseball up until uh, my junior high school, ran track. So I was just like always trying to beg my father, always trying to beg my father. You know, and I always see like forms, you know, for a new league, and I'm always thinking, I hope it's football this time. And, you know, here it is, baseball. Or I see forms next year, and it's, you know, it's, it's golf or it's tennis. So, Finally, you know, um, I put some put applied some good pressure to my stepmother, and uh, she she in turn applied the the pressure on my father, and he uh, he allowed me to play when I was twelve. So, and you and you talk in your book a lot about your relationship with your father and your mother. Now they were they were divorced, but they you actually were played very much a role in terms of they live like really close to each other. So each you went to each one of them, and your dad trained you like you never anyone has ever trained in terms of getting you into the, this peak physical condition. So talk about sort of your relationship with your dad and your mom in terms of what they both had impact into, into making you one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. Yeah, uh, my parents separated when I was young. Um, and, you know, my dad did everything to stay close to me, you know, since so I didn't, he's not an absentee father by any means, you know, wherever we stayed, he always stayed a block over or two blocks over. He always made sure he stayed right around me. When we moved to Georgia, when I was uh, six, you know, I, I stayed, I spent the summers in Detroit with my dad. So I still would, you know, spend that end of May, you know, all the way through August. So I still got that time to be with my dad. So we were, you know, we were very close like that. But, you know, my, our relationship was kind of built and based on sports. You know, I think that's just a product of the way in which he grew up. So, you know, I wanted to go overboard, above and beyond in terms of sports. But I always tried to make sure I was very successful, uh, no matter what grade or year it was or what sport I was playing, because I felt as though that was our bond. And I felt like that that was our that was our chemistry. You know, it was through sports. So I think that's how our our relationship was formed. And I think for years that's what I thought our relationship was. But you know, you get older in life, you start asking questions. You become grown yourself. You become you know a man, a father, et cetera. And then you start to ask questions and say things. And then you guys open up the lines of communication. So you know, my father and I, are, you know, in a, in a great place. Probably the best place we've ever been in over the past uh, six or seven years. But it just took me asking that question and then obviously I guess he was waiting for you know you know how things work with with men and their fathers man so uh definitely an interesting relationship but nonetheless man definitely full of love I never 
never didn't see love or uh, or presence. And then obviously my mother. <laughs> I apologize. My mother is my everything, man. She's a uh, she's a disciplinarian. She's the best friend. She's uh, the birds and the bees conversation kind of came, came from her. I think my father was a little embarrassed when he was younger. So uh, my mother, man, I just that's how we rock, man. She's uh, my manager, uh, the consultant between my financial people, my agents, et cetera. Like she's a she she's a good, the bad, and the ugly, man. You know, it's like the Clint Eastwood movie. So you go. So you. Uh... Your dad went to Michigan, so you grew up wanting to play at Michigan, wanting to go to Michigan, growing up in Detroit and playing football there in the Detroit area. So you get to Michigan as, as a freshman, and you're playing for Lloyd Carr, and he wasn't, from the book, he isn't like one of those warm and cuddly coaches, it appears like. And you had a tough time that freshman year in terms of like getting, just getting used to that whole atmosphere, the whole environment at, at Michigan. What was the, his quote was, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, you're forgotten. <laughs> That that was him in a nutshell, man. And it was funny because I had um, I had forgotten that quote for a while until uh, 2017 at the Chad Tuff Gala, which is uh, his son um, Jason Carr and his wife Tammy Carr. They lost their son Chad. Uh, if you guys remember, some years back, and uh, to cancer. To you know, and they have they have a big gala they do every year now. Jim Harbaugh's on the coach Harbaugh's on the board. Uh, for it, but he was honored at that for I, I think twentieth year since the national championship, which would have been ninety seven, and um, Jake Long actually b- reminded me of that. Like he when he spoke, he was talking about you know being on time, and I've always been this guy that's like on time. Like I, I hate people that are late. Let, let me not say that I don't hate anyone. I hate when people are late. It, it irks my nerves. Like I hate dating women that are. It's like late and have no concept of time. When my mother goes oh, places with me, like, <laughs> it just it just irks the heck out of me, man. And I forgot where I got it from, and it was it was the man Lloyd Carr. No, but Lloyd was it wasn't that he was not necessarily warm and cuddly, which he wasn't. But he just certain players he knew how to treat differently, if you will, to get certain things out of. Them. I mean, some kids come from from Texas, you know, and they come from single parent homes and. You know, they come from Texas, 23 hours away. So, you know, you can't be overly critical of them. Or if a parent, or if a kid comes from single parent home, and you know he's, you know, or you as a coach, and that's why I give all coaches credit and and respect for this. The art of being able to find out what makes certain kids tick, or find out which button is too much to push on certain kids, that's an art. And I think he was very good at it. Because uh, he treated me differently than he treated Chris Perry. He treated Chris Perry different than he treated Chad Henney and Mike Carla. Each player kind of he figured out what worked for them, and he was tremendous at uh, pulling the best out of all of us. And then when you were at Michigan, um, I, I liked the, the numbers. Like I always say, a number of what, who that player was, and and you had that affinity for number one because Anthony Carter and uh, had number one at Michigan. And I I know well, I, I'm a big fan of Penn State football, are. and it just recently Micah Parsons is, uh, came to the school and he wanted to wear number eleven, and then he went to Lavar Arrington and Lavar and, and asked him. Like I think he actually visited him and went to his house and said, you know, can I get wear number eleven? And and Lavar said, of course, I, it'd be an honor for you. You're one of the greatest high school basketball football players in the country uh, to wear that, and and it's, it's created a friendship between the two of them. So talk about your 
you were number 80, you wanted to wear number one, and you finally got to wear number one, and then you are critical now of how it's sort of like it's not as important now, and that, it, it, that you, you, it's not allowed, it's not, it, they don't put the importance of the numbers at Michigan like they do at like, a school like Penn State with, with, with the story with LeVar Arrington and Micah Parsons. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Rich Rock kind of started, you know, but let, uh, let me take a step back. So my, you know, my father played with Anthony Carter, and all my father ever talked about was how good AC was at Michigan. How, how, you know, he was just. I think he would make up a lot of this stuff. I think a lot of stuff is myth, but I would give my dad the benefit of the doubt, man. And he just would talk about AC skill and skill level. So I just all I heard was AC number one, AC number one. So when I got older, I wanted to go to Michigan where AC number one. So you know, going to games. I remember the '90s, Derek Alexander. And, you know, Greg, you know, Greg Murphy, Tyrone Butterfield. Then you move a little further, you see Dave Terrell, who's like my big brother. So I always wanted to wear it, and it was available, and it was open. And when I went there, I was excited. Nobody else took it. The only other wide receiver that came in with me was Tim Massacourt, uh, and Tim took uh, 88. So I asked Coach, could I get one? And he said no. He said I had to earn it. And it was kind of a shock to me because – I don't remember anyone else having to earn it. Now they definitely deserve to wear it when you, you know, watch the film and you pull it up. But you know, Dave Terrell got it as a freshman. I was like, what separates me from Dave Terrell? Is it because you think I don't belong here, or you know? So they, even starting early, Lloyd tested me. Uh, Lloyd put my my will, my determination, up to the test right away. And so you know, eventually after my sophomore year, I think I had a thousand yards and. 10 touchdowns and what first team all conference or second team or something like that. He allowed me to wear it. So yeah, it's kind of so now when I remember my journey into wearing number one and you know what I had to do and what I had to prove, you know, Rich Rod or Rich Rodriguez comes here and is trying to give the number two a defensive back. I'm like, hell no. And then, <laughs> you know, Brady Hope, at least with Brady Hope, the only one he did was with Funches. Funches. I think Funches started with 87, then he moved to 19. And then Funches asked me, could he wear a one? Because he was going to make the transition. He made the transition to wide receiver his senior, his junior year. So I said, hey, you know, you've been putting in that work. You know, you you you, you can wear it. You can go ahead. He, he knew the proper channels. But with uh, you know, Coach Harbaugh, it's kind of like it's a, it's a bargaining chip. Or he just give it out. He give it to a guy that's no longer even at Michigan right now, Core Crawford. Got it what, three years, four years ago. He's no longer at Michigan, and now Ambry Thomas, who's a defensive back, is wearing it. That number one is one of those jerseys, kind of like fifty-five at USC. You know, it's like eleven at Penn State. Like those guys are the leaders of the team. Those guys know what comes with those numbers. Those guys knows what comes with putting that jersey on every Saturday. Like you got to be the guy that's accountable. You got to be the guy that's the reason. You know, you got to be the guy that the team can look to. You got to be the guy that the coach can yell at, curse at, we do whatever, and takes it in stride and and shows you, and shows show the other kids, especially the young guys, what comes next. You know, why can coach talk about that? Or you got to be the guy when coach isn't around to police the team, to coach the team with the other captains as well. So you know, I just want the, I just want that number to represent that. I think it always should. And that's just my two cents. I'm not the head coach, but I think when that was the mantra and when that was the plan, the number the people that were number one got the best out of the university, and the university got the best out of those players. 
and you also endo- you actually endowed the number. So it's, I'm not saying like you own the number, but you did endow it and gave a half a million dollars to the university in order to and, you know to give the scholarship out for that. So it was it's it's like you do have a vested stake. You wore it. You were wore with with tremendous honor. Uh, we're talking to Braylon Edwards, the uh, the greatest Michigan wide receiver and uh, and an NFL All Pro. Uh, but as I was saying, you and you endowed that uh, endowed the number. Right, uh, you know that's like a that's a misconception. So we just created the the, uh, the endowment that was kind of like the deal for the scholarship. So we gave, I mean, we gave the scholarship. We gave five hundred thousand dollars regardless. It was eighty thousand dollars a year for a football player, and then there were two separate ten thousand dollars scholarships for 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 academics. But we still gave the number to people that didn't wear it. I mean, gave the money out. Eighty thousand out for people on the team on scholarship. I think Steve Breston had it one year. I think uh, Amari Darbo had it one year. We gave the money out, so it didn't have to be a number one player. But that's what the, the scholarship was called. We kind of made it out to be around the number, if, if you will. Right. So, um, and then I guess this this leads us to the next question. I mean, it seems like. Uh, I mean, at most schools, there's people that are critical of the program, and, and you have been critical of Jim Harbaugh, and you've made comments about it, and, and people have now been critical of you for being critical of Jim. It's like you're not allowed. I mean, is it, it's almost like you're not allowed to criticize when, when, something is, when you have your own thoughts. I mean, we have a free country, and you're allowed to say whatever you want, and you come from a for all the sweat you put into Michigan, you have the right to say whatever you want to say. And clearly, when you have a game like Saturday, when Michigan gets destroyed by Wisconsin, uh, you look like you're saying the right things, and maybe people criticize you or are in the wrong. Yeah, you know, when it happened last year, it was still one of those things where people were still hopeful. I think I think uh, Michigan fans are – I love my fans, and I love Michigan. I love, yeah, I love everything about Michigan. I think our fans are delusional a lot of times, and they don't want to admit the truth. And plus, no one was saying it, so it came out of a place where the first one through the door is always going—he's always going to catch the fire. The first one through the door is always going to catch the fire, and that's what happened last year, especially kind of surrounding how it happened. You know, that was a—that was let's just say it was a long night. Right? It was a long night with some alums. You know how those parties get. So that kind of added to it. Added to it all. Fast forward to now, you know, I make some comments before the Wisconsin game because I was doing the book presser tour. In New York, and I just talk about you know Michigan being light years behind Ohio State. Obviously, that, that's not going to go well with the Michigan fans. And then the game happens on Wisconsin, and everything that I've been saying for the past year, Charles Woodson now says he's embarrassed, and now it's okay. And I get it. You know, Chuck's Mr. Heisman. He's my big brother, and he the way in which he did it was very, very passionate, very classy. I get that, but at the end of the day, we said the same thing. And if it if it took for him to have to say it to for people to understand it or the way in which he did it, I'm all for it. I don't mind, you know, the last the last year. But, you know, moving forward, it doesn't matter who said it, how it was said, it was said and it's true. We got and it we gotta get to the, the heart of the matter. And it may and it may not be horrible because the same as being the same has been the way for Rich Rod, Brady Holt, et cetera. We got to do something about offense. Like that's what's killing us. That's what's killing us in the in the uh, in the big in the grand scheme of things. When you look at the the Clemsons, the Alabamas, uh, the LSU's, kind of sort of the Georgias, the Oklahomas, the Ohio States, defense obviously great defensive players. Each of those schools. It's the offense is where we're lacking. When you look at the offense, 
you're looking at players that are going to be up for the Heisman at the quarterback position, possibly the running back position. They're definitely going to be all-conference, probably all-American. You're going to have wide receivers that are going in the first round, no later than two. You got left tackles, right tackles, guard, even Notre Dame. You can add Notre Dame to the equation. You got guys that are going to be going in their first round, and guys that are that are playmakers. They're explosive. They're game changing. Every year with a high, every year with Michigan, we have to ask who's the quarterback, who's going to be the quarterback. The last time we had a consistent quarterback in Michigan was Chad Henney. The last time we had explosive, and that was 2008. Last time we had an explosive player at Michigan, that was Denard Robinson. And that was 2012. So, you know, I'm getting tired of asking this question. And you look at last year, Shea Patterson, who's not the answer. However, he had a statistically solid year last year. Coming in this year, what's the question again? Is it going to be Shea Patterson? Is it Dylan McCaffrey? Is it Joe Milton? So I'm not trying to beat a dead drum, and I'm not trying to kick Michigan while they're down. I'm telling you that the deeper, the deeper issue may not even be Harbaugh. It's, it's recruiting. It's, it's recruiting, and maybe that is Harbaugh, but that's the issue. Michigan, when you watch them play, they don't look like a Final Four team. No year. They look like a pretty good team. They're like that next tier. Like, will I pick them for a Final Four? No. They're that next tier. So that's what I was trying to say to stay the program is eventually you stay at that next tier, you can only do one, one of two things. You can go up or you can go down. And we don't want to go down to that third tier. We've been down there before, and it's not a fun place to be. So they got to get that corrected, man. That's how you compete with the big boys is you need a quarterback that's going to be up for the Heisman or the Maxwell. You need a running back that's going to be up for the dope. You need some receivers that in, in a blink of an eye can change the game. So that's so you have credibility. You won the Blitnikoff Award, which is given to the top wide receiver in the country. You came back for your senior year uh, to win it, and uh, so that's that's tremendous. But I guess is it is it just an is it an attitude? I mean, Harbaugh comes from an offensive background. He brought in a new offensive coordinator this year. Uh, he seemed to get Shea Patterson from Mississippi, thinking he's going to be the great quarterback. And it just still everything just doesn't seem to work. I mean, just their offense keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah, I mean, you brought Shea Patterson in, but two things. One, you brought Shea Patterson in, but you had like he was the cure all, the end all be all when you brought him in. Like, he was just okay in Ole Miss. Yeah, he had a couple 400 yard games. He also had a couple of terrible games. So you knew at most he was just a means to an end. He was just a means to potentially sneak you a Big Ten championship, but definitely he wasn't the end all be all. And so now your offense is. You know, it's still in the infancy stages, but, you know, this isn't Tulsa. No no shots fired at Tulsa. This is in New Mexico, man. Like, you're at Michigan. So you don't get, uh, you know, this is the infancy stages, and, you know, we'll have it going next year. I think another thing, too, is a lot of the schools that win at a high level, with the exception of Oklahoma, Oklahoma, they have this good system where they just keep, they just keep bringing in transfers, <laughs> be it a JUCO transfer or be a guy that is eligible ready right away. That's their model when it works. Most of those guys bring in a five-star quarterback, four-star quarterback, and they play him right away. So he spends that freshman year, but you already have a system in play. You already have uh, receivers that are pretty good or a running back that's pretty good. So you bring him into a system where he can learn and get better. Like, you bring in Joe Milton, who's a guy that a lot of people speak highly of, I would have thrown him in the fire last year. I mean, that's just, that's just me speaking. 
I would have played Joe Milton last year. Now you have Joe Milton having one year under his belt. I don't think you'd have played any worse or any better with Joe Milton versus Shea Patterson last year because you didn't run an offense that was conducive to Shea Patterson anyway. So you basically just kind of, you know, stubbed your toe all year. I would have played Joe Milton. Now you got a guy that's a sophomore and that's ready. He's a sophomore and he's ready. He's been through the war. He's got some 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 experienced targets on the outside. I, that's just how I would have done it, but, you know, I'm not a coach. <laughs> no, but you certainly have opinions. I'm talking to Braylon Edwards. His book, Doing It My Way, is a great book. It's available on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble. I actually bought it online. So the first books I ever bought that I read online because I went to the uh, Barnes & Noble you. in L.A. and it was sold out. So I guess there's a lot of Michigan and Braylon Edwards fans out here in, in L.A. Uh, but um, uh, anyway, I, I want to switch topics for a second. One more thing is, of course, Antonio Brown's in the news. Um, and it's the whole issue with Antonio Brown. And you have been, you know, the idea is that he's taken the, the word diva for a wide receiver at a, at a totally different level. Uh, what's your opinion of, the, of, of what's going, going on with him in, in terms of, you know, now it seems like he's almost given up $40 million in guaranteed money by uh, social media and other type of things that he's been involved in. Something, is, something isn't making him happy. And it's, it's, it's almost like he needs to speak to a therapist. Like, he's not something that I can examine. I'm not a professional. Like, just watching from the outside, like, he just needs to go talk to somebody. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, we all, technically every human on earth needs to talk to somebody. But football players, athletes, you may need it a little more. I think he needs to sit down with somebody and just assess, just assess his space right now. Just assess his space. What do you want to do? What do you see for yourself? Like, what's next? Do you really want to be done with football? What isn't making you happy? You know, why do you do the little quirky things you do? Like, it would always be easier to diagnose someone that, I don't know, gets into, <laughs> gets into bar fights or gets DUIs. You know, it's it's almost easy to diagnose that person. Like, hey, man, stop partying so much. Or, you know, like, you know, figure it out at home, et cetera, et cetera. But with him, it's, it's quirky, weird stuff. It's almost like, hey, look at me. You know, like, or is he screaming, like, for help? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to be too overly therapeutic about it, but like, is he screaming for help or is he saying, look at me? And most of the times people say, look at me, they're hurting inside. So I would almost want him to get a therapist and then try a renewed approach in, I don't know, halfway through the season, you know, or maybe even next year, like where he can just really become himself, like refocus and refine all like. Why am I playing football? Why am I here? What's my goal? What's my objective? Like, what's my mission? You know, and take some time with his family. You know, sometimes we, sometimes people need to do that. Like, you don't know what's going on. Like, so I would, I would want him to get some therapy, talk to somebody, and figure it out moving forward. Because I think he's a great guy. He's a great father to his kids. You always see him on Instagram, like raising his kids, playing with his kids. Uh, for the most part, was a good teammate until everything started blowing up in Pittsburgh. So. I think he needs to see somebody. That'd be my uh, my expert opinion. <laughs> well, that's it's interesting. I mean, you were I, I remember reading in your book you talked about how when you once made a first down gesture after a pass and Lloyd Carr took you out of the game for making the first down gesture and you got trouble in Michigan for your cell phone rang at a meeting and you also got to spend I think for having a pillow fight before a game. So it was a, I didn't get it was suspended. certainly you have much more discipline in, in terms of back and that. Me and Chris Perry got yelled at. I didn't get suspended. 
I just being a kid, what? though. You know, I'm yeah. The cell phone going off. I'm 18 years old. I've never had a cell phone before. I thought it was gonna vibrate, and my dad was actually calling me to try to figure out where to pick the tickets from, pick up the tickets from. So you know, that was that. And first down, just I mean, it was just a first down. Like now, these guys are doing backflips and all kind of dances and stuff. So that's <laughs> that's very that's that's very small scale stuff compared to that guy and what they're doing now. So. <laughs> Right, right, right. And I want, Braylon, thanks a lot for coming on. I just have one last question I've always wanted to ask. So I'm involved in fantasy football. I love it. Everyone I know plays it. I mean, when you're out there playing, I mean, you have to hear that people are, like, mentioning, like, oh, you know, you only had 60 yards, you didn't have 80 yards, or you didn't get the 100 on the bonus. Do you hear that noise from people, or do you hear, is it, is it just totally, you're totally oblivious to anyone talking about fantasy? I know you played a few, it's now bigger than ever, but even when you played, it was, you know, very, you know, important in terms of whatever. Did you, how, how did you relate to fantasy football? Fantasy football was huge for sport especially football, and and annoying at the same time. It was huge <laughs> for sport because, one, it brought a lot of women to the sport. Like now, because of fantasy, I remember when it really launched, launched in 2008 when Yahoo kind of started it. I mean, it started before that, but Yahoo kind of made it official in a big thing in 08. Like women started coming to the sport. Like different countries started coming to the sport and paying attention. Like it really took us international, and it really just took the, like, the gender base out of it, man. It was just became – I mean, they couldn't play it, but – they could watch it and love it and get into it. And it was fun. It brought people to the sport. It brought more recognition than, you know, the recognition was at an all-time high. You know, now you got guys that are, you know, third string that are getting recognized and not just your Aaron Rodgers and uh, Tom Brady's. However, people are just, that's all they care about. Like, it it really takes away the, just the genuine love for the game or for a player or for a team or for a franchise. Now when you run into, you know, guys in the airport, it's like, hey, don't, don't run into guys in the airport after a bad game. <laughs> oh, come on. Like you said, oh, man, you only have four points. It's like, hey, nice to meet you too. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? So, and women are like, so it, it's it's a gift and a curse. Like it brought a lot of recognition to the sport and it made a lot more fun for everybody to get involved. Now you have families that play fantasy together. Uh, you know, uh, job, well, not jobs, but corporations, uh, businesses play fantasy football together. People play in different countries. It's a way for people to communicate. You know, I was talking to somebody from New Delhi uh, last year about fantasy sport. So it's just a way that the world can connect over sport. However, it you also better, <laughs> if you play, a lot of guys play too, so just be ready for the other side of it. Don't Don't have a bad game. And the bad game isn't necessarily you went out there and you fumbled four times or you missed five tackles. Or you could just do nothing. Like nothing <laughs> could come your way. And that's, they started you. That's your fault, too. So gift and a curse, I would say. Well, Braylon, thanks a, thanks a lot for coming on. I, I did notice in your book that you said you liked Rocky Four better than Rocky. You, your music is Rocky Four. I like Rocky Three better. But anyway, you should definitely read the book. Anybody, my listeners, I would totally suggest the book. It's a great history. Of, it's a great biography of, of how to build yourself up to be a superstar uh, football player and, and all of the ups and lows, uh, highs and lows. And uh, I really, it's, both, it's called Doing It My Way, available at Barnes & Noble, uh, Amazon, every, Apple Books, everything like that. So, uh, Braylon, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. Hi, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Thank you guys for having me.